0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and our text this morning will be verse 16, just a way of reminder of where we have been. Chapter 2, after giving us a warning not to drift, but to pay attention to the great salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see what the benefits of Christ are, and as recipients of those benefits, what Christ accomplished in his humanity. Chapter 1 primarily deals with the deity of Christ, that Jesus is fully God, and chapter 2 moves into dealing with the humanity of Christ, that Jesus is truly man and what it is that he accomplished in his humanity. And we've seen, starting in verse 5, that He accomplishes dominion for man, that Christ is the heir of all creation, that Christ is over all creation, and He gives that to those that are in Him. We see that He sanctifies us, that is, He sets us apart, He makes us holy, that we receive salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivers us, and that He, as the one who has delivered us, is not ashamed to call us His brothers, He's not ashamed to call us His sisters. We see that in verse 14 and verse 15, that he destroys the power of Satan. In the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God by taking sin upon himself. And in accomplishing that, he defeated Satan. Satan can no longer accuse the brethren and the sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is a defeated foe. We see that in verse 15, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, conquers the fear of death that the believers once had. We no longer fear death, but we know that we have an eternal life. And then we come to verse 16. And we see that it is here a further benefit that we have in Christ because he took on flesh. In verse 16, it says, and this is the word of God, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. This is one of those verses, it's very short, it's the points of it are very simple and obvious But yet when you reflect upon it, you realize that there is a mountain of theology to be dealt with in this passage. Far more than what we could deal with or that I'm even able to. But you see two things, and it's very simple. Jesus and his humanity, he does not help angels. And the second thing is Jesus helps his brothers and his sisters. Now, what does it mean to say that Jesus does not help angels? Notice what it says. For surely it is not angels that he helps. What does that mean? He does not save them. They are not recipients of his grace or his mercy and salvation. He did not take on their created nature that he may save them. He took on your human nature. He took on my human nature that he might save us. And this is a perplexing reality. Angels are created beings just like you and I. They are spirit. You know the, the question, how many angels can fit on the pin of a, of a needle, right? The head of a needle. You've heard that question, that's what theologians debate those sort of things. Well, it's actually a really good question. How many angels can fit on the end of a needle? Well, they're spirit. So there's no capacity to which they could withhold them from being there. They're spirit. So that means there could be an infinite number of them. They're they're not like us. We don't see them. They don't have physicality where we touch them. So Christ but Christ did not take on that nature to save them. He took on our nature. There is a priority of mankind. Now, when angels were created, what happened to the realm of angels? Well, some fell and rebelled against God with Satan. Satan is an angel. The others, by God's grace, he kept, and they did not fall and rebel against God. He doesn't come, Christ does not come to save those fallen angels and the angels that the Lord kept by His grace. He doesn't have to save them because they are already in obedience to the Lord. So He doesn't take on their nature. He doesn't give them His mercy in salvation because they're not in need of it. So there's a priority of mankind, there's a priority of humanity. In other words, if you're sitting here this morning, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a greater priority in the redemptive plan of God for you than for an angel. You are higher in that salvific plan of God than them. Mankind was promised dominion. Angels were not promised dominion. Dominion. That means that they are not to inherit the earth. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. But actually, it is mankind that inherits the world that is to come, not angels. We in Christ are recipients of his mercy and his grace, and we inherit a new heavens and new earth. Christ did not do that for the angels. That's the plain meaning of the text. But it tells us this. But, you'll notice that phrase, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So it doesn't help angels, but he helps the offspring of of Abraham he helps them that means to take a hold of it means to grasp I mean, if any of you have a King James version of the Bible you 'll notice that it says he doesn't take on the nature of angels, but he takes on the seed of Abraham. What it means though is this is he doesn't help angels, just as it says here, but he actually he helps the offspring. Of Abraham, and to take hold of them to help them is this is that Christ takes the hand of Abraham's children and delivers them that's what it means to help he takes their hand and he delivers them he rescues them from death in fact you find this same phraseology in chapter eight and verse nine of Hebrews. Where it says this, that God did not have the same covenant that I made with your fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now, just think about that and reflect on that idea of taking their hand out of Egypt. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were working for the Egyptians. They thought God had abandoned them, and they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer to them, Moses, and Moses delivers them out of the bondage that they had under the Egyptians. Christ comes, offers his hands to those that are in bondage of sin, and offers a second exodus from the Egyptians. That Christ delivers those that are the seed of Abraham, just as Moses was used of God to deliver the seed of Abraham. Jesus does this. This is Jesus helps us. This is that Jesus grasps us and takes us and sees that we are delivered. And how does he do that? By taking on our nature. Now, I mentioned the King James Version Because when you read the King James Version of it, it specifically says in the translation that he doesn't take the nature of angels, but he actually takes that nature or that seed of Abraham. That is, the interpretation of that translation is that Jesus doesn't become like an angel, but he actually becomes like man. He takes on humanity. And that is certainly true. In fact, we are told in verse 17 that he is made like his brother in every respect. So how is it that Jesus grasps the children of, of Abraham and he grasps their hands to give them deliverance is that he takes on human flesh and he goes to the cross and he dies and takes on sin and becomes sin itself without ever sinning And dying a true human death, and then rising on the third day and offering his righteousness to his people. That is how he grabs us by the hand and rescues us. This idea of help, the idea of grasping, you know, oftentimes we think we need to hang on to Jesus. Your grip isn't strong enough. Praise God that Jesus grabs a hold of us. And here it says that he helps us, he takes us, he grasps us, that he does not let go of us. And I want us to see where this phrase comes from. And so let us just for a moment look at the Old Testament and where this verse comes from is Isaiah 41. In verses 8 through 10, most commentators acknowledge that this help that Christ comes from is playing off of a promise that we see in Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah 41 verses 8 through 10 and let me read what it says to you there. Beginning in verse 8 of Isaiah 41, But you, Israel... My servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham. You already see the picture of Hebrews there, the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Notice my friend, verse 9. You whom I took, there it is, the word help you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, and so you very clearly hear the language of Hebrews here in this promise that Isaiah is given, giving to the children of Israel, this help. We want to know what it is this help is that Christ gives us by taking on human flesh. Well, Isaiah tells us here what that help is. Notice the first aspect of this, is this. in verse 8 of Isaiah is whom I have chosen. God has chosen you in Christ. It's according to God's decision. It is according to God's choice. It has nothing to do with what you have done or could possibly earn. It has to do with God's sovereign election, God's sovereign choice of choosing you. Praise God, because if it had to be depend upon my merit or my good works, he would never choose me. Have you met me? He would not choose me, and he would not choose you. We see in Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. He chooses you out of His choice to love you. He says that we are called in Isaiah He says in verse 9, and you are called from its farthest corner, speaking of the the ends of the earth. Not only does this say that God has a choice that's not based upon your goodness, because we have none, but is rather upon his choice. And not only does he choose you, you know he chose you because he calls you. He calls you out of darkness to walk in His glorious and marvelous light. And if you have heard the call of Christ, it is because you have sat under the preaching of the gospel and you responded to that call. That is the call of God upon your life. Happy are the feet that bring good news. And that is what this is. Is not only does He chose us, but he calls us, he says, you whom I took. That is that God takes his own into his own possession. And if you were in God's possession, there's nothing you can do to get out of his possession. You don't have the power. Your sin is not greater than his grace. What a merciful God we have. That he would call us. But not only that, he calls us friends, you'll notice in the text. He says, Abraham the offspring of Abraham my friend that's amazing because when you think of Abraham and the life of Abraham and you could maybe wrap your mind around how God could call him friend but this isn't just speaking of Abraham this is speaking of the seed of Abraham that Christ helps it says here the offspring of Abraham my friend That if you are the seed of Abraham, you are a friend of God. You are one on whom great affection is shown. And if that is perplexing to you to say, how could God call me a friend? How could God show affection to me? Then we overestimate our sinfulness and underestimate the righteousness of Christ that covers us. So that when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his beloved Son, and he looks at you as he looks at his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how he can call you friend. Now, what are the benefits of this choosing, this effectual calling and this? Notice what Isaiah tells us. I have not cast you off. Now, in that, there is an implication that they deserve to be cast off. But God does not cast off those whom he has chosen, those whom he has taken, those whom he has taken into his possession. That is the eternal security that you have in Christ he doesn't cast you away. He can't cast you away because He has chosen you in His Son and He sees His Son. The only way you could be cast off from God if you are in Christ, if God ceased to be Himself, think of the Abrahamic covenant. God calls Abraham and gives a covenant to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. And in that, what God does is he says, Abraham, collect some birds and cut them in half, and we will walk between those birds. That was the covenantal sign. You know what the significance of that is? Because it's interesting, when you read the account of the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham's off asleep while the covenant's taking place. And in the covenant you would have the splitting of animals and the two parties walking through it. And the signification of that was this, if I break this covenant, may I become like those animals. In other words, as Abraham's off sleeping and God himself makes the promise with himself on behalf of Abraham and his seed. God is saying, may I become undone like those animals, and that is impossible. God will not break his promise. He will not cast you off. That is the help you receive. Another promise we see here, we see fear not, for I am with you. That was always the charge that God gave to his leaders. It was the charge he gave to Moses. I will be with you. It was the charge he gave to Joshua. I will be with you. It's the call that Jeremiah receives. Go and preach, and I will be with you. The call that Isaiah gets is when he is called by God, I will be with you. And that is the promise we have in Christ, that I will be with you till the end of the age. You have the presence of Christ with you, and you need not fear, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He says, I will strengthen you. That is, I will make you firm. I will see that you persevere. That he who called you in Christ will see to it that you make it To the end. He will strengthen you. He is omnipotent. His power, his strength cannot be measured, and that's what he promises to you and I. He says, I will help you, and that is I will grasp you. I will lead you just as Moses was used to lead the children of Abraham through the wilderness. God will lead you through this life and bring you to the security of the new heavens and the new earth. I will uphold you. How many ways can God tell us, I will let you go? He says there's so many ways to say that I've got you. You will not fall. But all of these promises that we see in Isaiah that I believe the author of Hebrews is referencing are predicated upon the very nature of God. In Isaiah 41, if you're still there, I just want you to look at verse 4. All, all of these promises are flowing out of this. I, verse 4, at the end of verse 4 of Isaiah 41, I, Yahweh, or I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. You know that that is the same language that God used to reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush. Who should I say sent me? God doesn't respond, tell them Elohim. God doesn't respond, tell them, my name is Holy sent you. God responds, tell them What? I am. I am the self existent covenant keeping God that does not change. These promises that we are given, that God will call you, and those whom he has called, he will keep you, all come out and flow out of the very nature of God, which is revealed here. I am he, the first, the last, it is I. That is the sovereign God, the sovereign creator of all the universe, is the one that calls you. He is the one that keeps you. He is the one that holds you. He is the one that sees that you finish the race. The sovereign, unchanging, self existent, covenant keeping God. That's what the help is that Jesus gives us. He gives that help. Now, to whom receive this help? If we go back to Hebrews, I want you to see specifically who the recipients of this help are. But he helps the offspring of Abraham and in, in very literal translation is he helps the seed of Abraham you could say it he helps the children of Abraham and we're familiar with the song our father abraham we've sang it since we were kids it's a wonderful song to sing by the way because it's true it's just as wonderful as Jesus loves me, isn't it? And this I know. It conveys a wonderful truth about the nature of our covenant keeping God. That He helps the seed, He helps the children of Abraham. Well, specifically, this is we are children of Abraham by adoption. But when you think of that phrase, children of Abraham, in the the New Testament, it has a specific meaning. Let me just read a couple of passages to you in Romans chapter 4 and verse 9. It's speaking of Abraham and it's telling us who the, the children of Abraham are. was to make him, here it is, this is answering the question, who are the children of Abraham? We need to know this because we need to know who is it that Jesus helps. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Just to bring forth Another witness to this truth in Galatians chapter 3. Same argument, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That is the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham are those of faith. It goes on to say in verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that is, those that are the children of Abraham, not by natural descent, not by ethnicity, but rather by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What a great picture that one day every tongue A nation will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you read the book of Revelation and you see the eternal throne of God, there is a multiplicity of tongues and nations and all nations gathered to worship. And you look at the mission of the church. It is to go into all nations that they all may hear the gospel and be counted as righteousness through faith as their father Abraham. So the phrase children or seed or offspring of Abraham is a phrase that directs us to the means by which we are saved. We are saved in the same way that Abraham was saved, that is, by faith. But there's also another aspect of this that we should consider is that in Abraham, those of faith receive the promises given to Abraham. What an amazing truth. Abraham is promised nations will come from him and kings will come from him that he will be given land. He's given these promises and he lived his whole life looking forward to those promises which he he never actually saw. Think about that. Abraham never received the land. Abraham never saw the nations coming from him. But he looked forward to the day of Christ. He looked forward knowing that one day from him would come the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Christ all the promises would be fulfilled. This is why Matthew one one makes it so clear in starting that genealogy of Christ with Abraham Jesus was the seed of Abraham Faith is the instrumental means whereby we are brought into unity with Abraham Because Christ was the seed of Abraham, the promised seed, the one in whom all the promises are realized. And so our union in Christ, our faith in Christ, brings us into adoption into the family of Abraham by faith. I just want you to note this theme that is so rich in Hebrews chapter 2 and here is just becomes so clear this offspring of abraham or this seed of abraham it's this theme that comes out of the text that has been here the whole time and that is the theme of adoption notice in verse 10 it says that god the father brings many sons to glory in verse 11 we're told that jesus who is the sanctifier, sanctifies his brethren. How are we called brothers with Jesus? Because we are adopted. You look at verse 13. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus is saying that about those to whom the Father has given to the Son are now his So what do we see here? You see children of Abraham, you see sons of glory, those that are set apart, uh, the, the brethren or sisterhood of those that are in Christ, the children that God has given me. This is all speaking of us being children of God. That's the theme of adoption in Scripture. Now consider the wideness of this. For just one second, take the 30,000 foot view. Through faith, you are brought into the redemptive history of Scripture. That's an amazing statement. That through faith, you are brought into that line of Abraham and the promises given to Abraham that are realized in Christ are now given to you you were actually brought in Christ into the timeline of Scripture. Through faith, you were brought into the family of God that you could be called a son of God, a daughter of God in Christ. This is who Christ takes by the hand and helps. This is Christ helping us. Christ helps the children of Abraham. And the children of Abraham are those united to Christ by faith and as a result are adopted into the family of God. Now that's the meaning of the text. I just want to take a moment and look briefly at this doctrine of adoption. If you look at John chapter 1, we see it so clearly this doctrine of adoption. In verse 11 of John 1, we read verses 11 through 13. It says, He came to His own, that is, He came to those of like ethnicity, He came to the Jews, and His own people did not receive Him. But all who did receive him, who believed, that is faith, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You'll notice here, how adoption takes place. Receive, you see, those who received Christ, those who believed in Christ, that is, those who had faith in Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. That is, he, in Christ, by believing in Christ, he gives us the benefits of being in him. Now, I want to make a note here on this, as we should be very careful on this, as we should know that it is not our faith itself that saves us. And if that, if, 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 you, if you just, your heart skipped when I said that, hang with me for a second. Your faith did not go on the cross and live a life and die and rise again. Christ did. Christ saves you, He applies His righteousness through faith. Faith is not another work. Faith is by grace, through faith, you have been saved, and this is not of your own doing. Faith is the, you could think of it like this, the vehicle that God uses in applying the righteousness of Christ to us. And in and through faith... Christ's righteousness is applied, the work of Christ is applied to the believer, and then we are called children of God, not born of flesh or of the will of man, but born of God through faith. Now, specifically, to be adopted, to be called a child of God, we have to see this as it is a declaration that is legal by God. It is a legal declaration of God to say, you are mine. And there's an order here. We should see this order in Scripture. Scripture because it's crucial for us to understand. We sometimes call it the order of salvation. Now, when we experience salvation, it's just like that. But Scripture does present an order in salvation. It speaks of the calling. And through the calling, it speaks of us being born again. And what happens as a result of being born again is that we have faith and repent. And because we have faith and repent, we are justified, because we are justified by faith alone. And when we are justified, that means that we are no longer guilty, but our sins have been pardoned, and then we come to the beautiful doctrine of adoption, is that in Christ we are now adopted, and that Just like justification is a legal declaration that you are not guilty, adoption is a legal declaration that you are mine. And then what follows adoption is sanctification, that we grow in our Christ-likeness. But I want us to see this for a second here, that this is a legal statement In verse 12 of John, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. That is speaking of a legal authority. And we have to see it under these terms. If I'm adopted to God to be a son or a daughter of God, what was I adopted from? What does the scripture say about this? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, that we are children of wrath. If you look over at John chapter 8, in verse 39, and I hope this connects everything for you in our relation to Abraham and being an offspring of Abraham. The Jews are arguing with Jesus, and notice what they say in verse 39 of John 8. They answered him, Abraham is our father. What are they saying? We are the offspring of Abraham, the ones whom God helps and has chosen. We are the children of Abraham. But look what Jesus says. If you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now, here's the language. They're saying this. Abraham's our father. But Jesus says, actually, you're not doing the works of your father. You're doing the works of another father. This is your true father. Abraham's not your father. You want to claim Abraham. You want to claim the offspring of Abraham, those whom God helps, but you actually have another father. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, that is, if you were the true seed of Abraham, if you were a true son and daughter of God, You would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. That's the distinction between the children of Abraham and those who are not. Listen. You are of one seed. You are of the seed of the serpent, or you are the seed of the woman, realized in Abraham, realized in Christ, and Christ has crushed the head of the serpent, or you stand in the serpent? You stand in Abraham, or you stand in the devil? Those are the options. There's not a middle way there. Jesus doesn't say that there's another option. That's it. Those that are in Abraham are those that are in Satan. And so this idea of becoming, that he gave the right to be children of God, that he helps the children, the offspring, the seed of Abraham, is a legal declaration that through faith one legally moves from being a child of wrath, a child of Satan, to a child of God, the Children, the offspring of Abraham that received the help and received the promises of Christ. That's the doctrine of, of, of adoption. Let me ask you, and we pause here. If you trusted in Christ, are you a child of wrath or through faith a child of Abraham, a son or daughter? In God. I just want to make an application of this. Adoption results in likeness. Adoption results in likeness. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you been given the right to be called a Child of God, then there is a corresponding result of likeness to Christ that necessarily takes place. In other words, there is, if we just stick with Hebrews for a second, there will be a likeness to Abraham in your life. Because you are adopted into the family of God. Consider Abraham for a second. Abraham is the man of faith, and we recognize that he is the man of faith, and he is called the man of faith for a very good reason. But just for a second, think about Abraham. He lied about his wife twice to protect his own skin. I can't imagine lying about my wife as he did to give his wife to another man, and by God's grace, she was protected. When we look at Abraham, Abraham was not a perfect man. He was like you and I. He was a sinful man. But there's something about Abraham as this, is that God called him... And Abraham set his eyes towards the celestial city and walked his life there and by God's grace kept him. This is why we call Abraham the man of faith. Let me ask you this morning, are you more and more like Abraham in walking by faith? How much more ought we to be like Abraham, with so much more revelation that we have received than he received. Do you know you have more information about God and the nature of redemption and the nature of God than Abraham ever did? How much greater responsibility is upon our shoulders? And so are you, like Abraham, walking this life towards a celestial city, or are you consumed with worldly pursuits, worldly passions... Has the vanity of this life captured the interest of your heart? Or has your heart been stirred by God's grace to look upon Christ and pick up your cross and set your eyes towards the new heavens and the new earth that is promised to you in Christ? You know, friends, I, I cannot say that with a guarantee that everyone here we'll see the new heavens and the new earth. I can't say that everyone here receives those promises that are realized in Christ. But I can promise you this, that Jesus helps the offspring of Abraham. I can promise you this, that in trusting in Christ with the empty hand of faith, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. These promises are for you. And while I can't look inside someone's heart and see inside there that it says they're elect, I can promise you this, that if you have trusted in Christ, you are made a child of God, and he will see you to the end. And so it's very simple. We're either of our father, the devil, or we're of our father, God. Who is your father this morning? Who is your father this morning? Are you on the journey that Abraham took, looking forward to the city that was yet to come, not built with foundations made by hand, but looking forward, Forward to the celestial city that is promised. Where are you looking this morning? Is it to Christ and Christ crucified and simply to his cross that you cling? Or are you looking to somewhere else? That's the question we all have to ask. And if you are in Christ this morning, praise God The wonderful promises are there at your feet. Christ has accomplished it for you and you receive all the treasures that are in Christ which cannot be measured. That is the gift that Christ gives you. That is the help that he gives to the offspring of Abraham. Heavenly Father,